to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. All right. Episode 16. Good morning. Good morning. New location. First time in person. Yeah, in person, in person with an actual guest here with us. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, yeah, good morning no. John. Good morning. Uh, this is John and I go back and forth on the banter. We're excited. This is our first time in person. I wasn't sure when to jump in. Oh, you're good. <laughs> no, this is look. Let's be clear. Like this is a this is special for me. You know, Steve is a is a friend of mine. Actually, John, I met you and Steve in the same weekend. Uh, in Real Pigeon Forge at that uh, VRM housekeeping event. Like, no, it was the, it was the housekeeping slash VRM Intel. It yeah. was Amy's yeah. Amy's yeah. event yeah. down in Gatlinburg. So we all met the same time. At the same time, it's coming full circle, except for, and I got a good story about how we met Steve. But first of all, I, I welcome Steve to the show. Thank welcome to the No BS Short Term Rental Podcast. We're honored to have you on. Thank you for coming on, my friend. Um, and, you know, we're going to dig right in because uh, we got a little time before the conference starts and we want a lot. We got a lot to cover. But for all of you out there, uh, everyone knows who Steve Milo is. Let's be very clear. Uh, if you've been in the industry, even a couple of weeks or a month, you know, you, you felt his presence within the industry, um, feared, respected, um, you know, a force within the industry, um, you know, and we're going to get to, you know, let you tell your story and, and talk all about it. But I'm super excited to have you. Um, founder, V-Trips, um, lots of huge news to cover around that, but we, uh, we're we going to dig right in. So, um, John, I kind of want to, and, and, and Steve, forgive me for this. I'll, I'll let you say whatever you want to say, but I, I really, you know, lots of people know you for, you know, what you do for the industry. Um, you know, your, your frank and honest opinions. Um, you don't, you're the kind of quintessential no BS person in the industry from my, from my vantage point, like yeah. you always give no it to punches me straight. Pulled, yeah, no which punches is, pulled. And I think it, that makes some people uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it's the truth. Steve, I've never known you a lot. So like at the end of the day, you know, how do you, you know, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, what I want to do today is, is let's start, take it back to the beginning. Everyone knows where you're at. We're going to talk about what you just did recently, the huge news for V-Trips. It's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, but I want, to go, I want to start at the beginning. I, I don't think a lot of people know your story, your origin story. Like, how did you get into the business? How did you get into this industry? Well, I mean, I think I'm like a lot of the new breed where I got in with one property. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was literally bought a property in Florida, lived in Chicago, had a full-time job, and I was trying to rent it and couldn't find property management. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, it was right after uh, 9-11. And uh, believe it or not, a lot of companies weren't taking on any new uh, properties. They were having trouble renting what they had. So I um, was in the e-commerce industry and I decided, hey, look, you know, there's a couple of these websites. One of them was VRBO, Great Rentals, Rented.com. And I started listing it on those sites and um, started to have a lot of uh, volume. And also built a little website called at that point Vacation Rental Pros. And so mm-hmm. I just started having more demand than supply. And you know, that's kind of where things went. So it was really just started with one property and got to know the business from re- literally renting it on my own, 
managing the cleaning on my own, managing the operations on my own, everything I did on my own. That's a hell of a feat. I mean, starting with one and then going to what are you plus three thousand? Like uh, three thousand? Well, that that's a different you know that, that's a different conversation, right? So that's why did you go from one to maybe two hundred? And of course, that would be well. Once I started taking on properties more than my own, I became a property management because yeah. other people wanted me to list. And at some point, you you know to really make it make it enough money, you need a. 100, 200 properties to really make decent money. And then the decision to go from 200 to 3,000 really was, I think I can scale this. I think I can use technology. I think I can take a look at a lot of the things that are happening in this industry, which were hosted systems, um, price management tools, things like that, and just really scale this industry uh, and do it in a way where, you know, uh, consolidate um, companies where it would make sense. It's interesting. So what what point when when did that divergence happen? When when did you really say, look, this is I mean, you started with one, you know, probably built up to a couple. Like, when was that point when you knew, hey, this is something I can I can do and I'm going to do. And 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 when did that growth kind of mindset happen for you? Happened in stages. Right. So the first stage was um, we were basically a regional company uh, based in Ponte Beach or Jacksonville uh, Beach. And uh, during the recession, I had opportunity to buy companies in St. Augustine, in Flagler Beach, and just or just accelerate our growth by buying regional companies. And so I bought four or five regional companies. Mm-hmm. Can you can you go ahead and expand like just a timeline, approximate year? I mean, you, you said this is right after nine eleven, uh, so that was you know. So this is later, but what well, approximately when was that? Yeah. All right. So timeline bought my first. Uh, property 2002, bought a couple more 2003, 2004, started having uh, other people I know ask me to list and their properties 2005, had about 25 properties, quit my day job uh, in 2006, foreign vacation rental pros. And that was right before the housing uh, boom recession. Mm -hmm. And from 2006 to 2009, it was pretty much organic growth. got up to about 300, 400 properties. 2009, bought the first company uh, regionally. And from 2009 to 2014, bought four regional companies in Northeast Florida. So Ponte Beach, Jacksonville, Palm Coast, St. Augustine, Flagler Beach, just it's like a 50 mile strip. I just rolled them together. Right. And uh, we were, I don't know, 600, 700 properties at that point. Yeah, pretty small. Yeah, so that was 2014. <laughs> And, uh, you know, these, this was a, we were a regional sized company, like many of these companies that are here today at the DARM conference, you know, we were, we were big for our area and it was a very efficient model. Right. So, but what, what happens, you know, when you're at 600 properties, you know, when do you go, all right, let's, let's go, you know, let's go to Gatlinburg. Let's go here. Let's, let's go ahead and expand into all, you know, from 600, it was the next step, 600 to 3000. I mean, when, when was that next uh, it was the thought that, to be honest, it was the rental restriction stuff that spooked me yeah. in, in the state of uh, Florida. Uh, we were in uh, Flagler County, and they literally trying to zone vacation rentals out. And I had a large amount of vacation rental properties I personally owned and that I rented. And the rental restrictions really scared me uh, because they were talking about completely zoning us out. And uh, 
we we thought you know we might lose thirty percent of our properties, and it it was it was crazy. And you know we hired a lobbyist and finally kind of salvaged things in two thousand fourteen. This was the uh, big fight in two thousand fourteen in the state of Florida, where we prevailed by getting at least the, uh, stopping governments from banning or regulating duration or frequency, but they were able to do everything else. So that really scared me. And what that told me was, look, I've got to diversify outside of the area. So, you know, I've got this, I thought I, I had this great situation, but, you know, regulation can happen anytime. And so that's when I started looking at places like Gatlinburg, Tennessee as a completely different market. Now, the thing about going outside different markets is, you know, those companies were more expensive and that's where, you know, you needed to get funding. So, but I made the decision. Diversification was the way to go. Plus, a bunch of hurricanes started hitting. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good timing. Right. And that's, it's, you know, it, it, it's interesting, too. You, you talk about being able to expand and diversification and, you know, the regulatory aspect of what you do. Because you are actually a huge champion for uh, the regulatory you know, gathering of the industry, you know, every event, I feel like you're, you're helping lead um, and, and doing things for the industry, such as, you know, getting the common API initiative that you put together. Um, how have you seen in, in what, what really formed your growth strategy outside of like, you're unique, right? When you look at other people grow, you've built a strategy that, has been very successful for you. But when you look at others in this industry, they haven't found that formula, right? Like they haven't done the tips and tricks. I remember the first time I went down to Pontevedra, you showed me the huge laundry facility you're building in these other places. Like you've done unique things within the space that really differentiate you from other managers within the space. And it's, it's more strategic, right? And so I think your philosophy, and I want to dig into kind of what that has been and how that's evolved over time. Um, for you to be successful, you know, for V-Trips, um, pushing into where you are now and, and where you're seeing and where you want to go with that in the future, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, my vision was once I started this was to basically build a hub and spoke. Mm -hmm. And that's very different than what some of the other companies have tried to do uh, with, with how they've expanded. So, you know, normally I think the expansion if it's a regional player and they're just assimilating properties into a regional brand, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, that's just easy. Like I'm, I'm here in one market. I'm going to go next to the next market down the street. I'm just going to roll my brand right in. That's, that's easy. But when you go from Jacksonville, Florida to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, to Rio de Janeiro, New Mexico, et cetera, et cetera, that is much more difficult and it requires, you know, basically a hub and spoke and a technology platform. And uh, it's hard. Um, and, and so a lot of companies have struggled with being actually able to create a, a technology platform. So, you know, some of the things you were talking about is basically the process of um, platforming this industry in a way which laundry actually is one of the things that's, you know, critically important to scale. And so you've got to have it if you're going to do it. Now, do you, in each one of your locations, are you, are you building a laundry hub or if, if there isn't one there already, or are you acquiring a laundry hub to make sure that you're able to keep scaling and growing in the way that you're growing? You have to have enough size to do it, but every market we're in, we're thinking about it. So if, if we can't pull it off, we've got an independent contractor um, 
companies we're working with. But in all cases, we're looking at it where, hey, is there a point in New Mexico? How big do we need to be to be able to create our own laundry facility? So, so you are you've gotten to where you are today, and let's let's dive into this news. Uh, you know, so came out last week, and I'm sure obviously you've been thinking about it, talking about it a lot longer than last week, but we all got broke the news broke last week that it's uh, Hudson Hill Capital. Um, there's a 250 million dollar investment into V Trips, which is not a small chunk of change. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about that process? Tell us about you know the you know what your plans are to use it. I mean, we all know, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, you're obviously you're going to use it to scale, um, you know, but there has to be some specific directions you're, you're wanting to use this capital and, and why Hudson Hill capital, as opposed to maybe some other, you know, money. Well, so, so the, we've been looking to bring in capital probably for the last 12 months. Um, Hudson Hill just happened to be the firm who I thought was the best fit for us. They're a family fund. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they were very. We were very clear with them early on. We were looking for a minority investor, not a majority control situation, mm-hmm. and that uh, the the existing management team and the leadership uh, was critical. So, in other words, we would need to be able to govern ourselves and and not have, yeah. you know, a, a minority partner have a lot of governance control over us. And and they were they were okay with all that. So we were able to go through a due diligence process. We agreed on valuation early on. They got a pretty decent deal. Um, so uh, I'm sure they're pretty pleased. But uh, you know, we honored we honored the uh, term sheet, and um, you know, we we finally concluded everything last week. What we're going to use the capital for is we're going to accelerate M um, and A. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we we believe pretty clearly there's opportunity because there's a number of sellers for various reasons who want to sell. Uh, some of it is clearly, you know, they've made a ton of money or valuation and, and they want to take chips off the table, which is a which is a pretty smart decision for some because this is their biggest asset in their life. And right. they've got families and, you know, generations they probably can take care of through the sale of these companies. The other thing is some people are mentally uh, fatigued. Yeah. You know, it's just been brutal uh, with COVID and governments and, and all this stuff. And and so there's just, you know, there's sellers that are just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And then there's also sellers that are at a certain point in their life where it just is it's just so tough to run businesses because of labor shortages and, you know, how difficult the guests have become because of, you know, all the different things going on with COVID. So, you know, for a lot of reasons, there's companies that want to sell. And, you know, the, the amount of companies that want to buy have shrunk. Um, and that's uh, due in part because Bacasa bought Turnkey, Bacasa bought Wyndham. Um, and so, you know, here we are as V-Trips. We're an alternative for any company that is thinking of selling who doesn't necessarily have to sell to Bacasa. Mm-hmm. And we think we can be, um, you know, a very, very strong player in the industry. We actually think we can become eventually the number one player uh, through essentially M&A and then eventually getting into a SPAC or uh, even an IPO. So Mm -hmm. we think there's plenty of room uh, to maneuver and and we think we can be in a position where we can be a very, very different player than Vacasa. I I love to hear that. And I think this now the climate of the industry is ripe for that, right? Like one of the things 
you and I always talk about is, is business profitability, right? And, and being able to build a profitable business. And I think one thing, one of the things we're seeing now is who did their homework, right? During COVID, when everything changed, you know, managing's always been hard. Managing's always, it's been, a, it's a difficult thing to do. And I don't think people who aren't in the throes of it really understand how challenging it is in this space, uh, especially today with, with the technology, like you said, with the guests, like you said, it is a different world. Well, the people, I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard it's, to even find people. Right. right. And, and yeah, the, the, the human capital component of it and, and keeping that in place, because all of that are cogs that keep the machine running and running well and at a high level is at a challenge. So kudos to you for that, for sure. And it, it, it's interesting, though, who is sharpening their pencils, who is doing their homework. And I think we're seeing the results of that now. And I think we're going to continue for a little while to see, you know, with, with you making moves and other people that are trying to make moves within the space and the people who are like reevaluating their, you know, their stance and their, their, do they really want to do this? Are they really in this to do it and do it well? We're seeing that transformation real time. And I think what's exciting is, you know, we're, you're actually creating what tomorrow's industry is going to look like. We know it's going to be tech-based, right? We know it's going to be customer-centered. Um, but there's a whole host of new challenges coming to you now, right? Like, I think the number, what would, what, I guess that's my question to you too. Like, what is the number one challenge that you see moving forward for the industry, um, for managers and, and companies like yourself? Well, I mean, two years ago, we would have talked about technology, mm-hmm. but I think right now it's equally technology and human capital. Yeah. Right. The human capital component is, um, in some case, uh, cases, more problematic than the technology component. So, you know, on the human capital front, um, it's, it's a tough situation because we're, many of us are operating in resort markets where um, it's, it's just hard to find people for various reasons. Some, some people don't want to work. Some people left, you know, they've moved to other places. So, um, you know, that human talent becomes harder and harder. And so the only way we can combat that is, uh, with scale, which helps us. So we've expanded our HR group. We have now have five people a year ago. We had two, uh, we now have someone who's bilingual, um, working in our department, because um, Latino speaking uh, workers are so important to us, particularly for, you know, back of the office type stuff. So housekeeping, uh, laundry facilities where they don't necessarily have to have English as a first language, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's harder to recruit them if, if you don't speak with them and know where to advertise. Um, we're exploring H2 and H1B visas mm-hmm. uh, for next year because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just such an issue. I mean, we're literally working on a proposal to build workforce housing up in Gatlinburg. Uh, that's probably going to take uh, a year to get built, but just to be able to put uh, workers up there. Wow. So these are things that, uh, you know, a company of scale and size can do, but it's, it's just, it's incredible. And, and, and then, you know, obviously there's the, you know, the middle management component as well. That's not quite as difficult to find that, but it's, it's the people that actually are the lifeblood of the company, which is the operations piece. It's your housekeeping and your maintenance workers and stuff like that. Benefits is another big thing. Um, you know, we've been in a series of conversation with benefit brokers um, about really revamping um, our, the way we 
do business with with them, and we may be eventually self insuring healthcare. But the whole goal goal is to give more to our employees, give them more options, give them better benefits because benefits become critical component, more PTO time, uh, more flexibility. I mean, these are all things from a human capital standpoint. And last but not least, hopefully when we're public, stock options, things like that. And we have done some of that with some of our senior level people. But the goal is if we're public, you know, there's going to be a much more ability for us to allow our employees to share in the upside of the company. And that's the direction the industry, I feel like, has to go. Right. Because at the end of the day, people aren't going to come back to jobs. And I, I think, you know, the jobs in the back office and, you know, the, the greedy hands on jobs uh, that, you know, really keep this industry running, you know, for a long time, you know, people were underpaid and neglected. Even when, you know, a lot of the industry always talks about, I mean, we, we, we know the importance of those jobs, but I think broadly, uh, you know, those people weren't necessarily taken care of. And that's part of the issue that we're seeing right now in terms of why people have left and other things. You know, they have other opportunities. And, and I'll say this just to kind of spark it. But I think it's sad when, you know, when the government can give you a, a little check and that's keeping people home versus, you know, being able to, you know, really go after opportunities that are out there. And we've seen that shift. Right. So it's the, the industry has to change around that space. I think people need to get paid more, probably. And like you said, you have to be able to take care of those people or else it's going to be a continuing issue. Well, it's not just money alone. Right. Yeah. So if it was just money, I think everybody uh, would figure out, OK, instead of ten dollars an hour, we're paying 12 instead of 12 or paying 14. I mean, if it was just a money issue, it would be an easier issue to solve. It's a um, finding the people who actually are going to be satisfied taking those jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, uh, you know, we started to take a look really carefully at who were the people in the laundry facilities who liked it there Mm. and who who actually didn't come in and and think this is a job that's beneath them, but it's like, this was a good Mm -hmm. job. Like it's a safe place, it's air conditioned, heated, whatever, Mm -hmm. structured, and we come in, we do our work. And we found that people where English wasn't their first language, it was a really good job. They had benefits. Uh, it was structured. It was safe, um, clean. And they came in. They did their work. They could come in as early as 7. They could leave at 3, 3.30 or whatever. We, right. we were flexible with hours. Uh, or we had a, another shift that was later. And so, in general, we found that people where English wasn't their first language, they actually, this was a good job, right? And, and they enjoyed it. And they were very thankful the difficulty is where do you find those people where English isn't their first language, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to have people who are able to communicate with them. And most of those people are, you know, Spanish is their first language, right? right. So, um, you know, understanding where you're finding those workers that will be satisfied with these um, jobs is important. Housekeeping, the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, when we were doing this, we were doing independent contractor. Mm-hmm. And that was great when there were, less of a labor shortage mm-hmm. because you would deal with an independent contractor and the independent contractor would then find subcontractors. But now what we found is, Hey, you know, we need to find people who want to do this and then we're going to give them benefits and we're going to give them what's very important for them is healthcare yeah, for right. their family. Yeah. And that's why affordable healthcare is so important. And, and then we're going to give them 40 hours. So every week they're going to know that they have 40 hours and, you know, we'll pay a mileage and things like that. So finding people who are going to be happy with a housekeeping job is 
critical and benefits become a key component of, of what makes people happy, particularly people with families. Yeah. Let's talk about the, um, the, that briefly, let's talk about that middle management and that upper management. What, and maybe, you know, what happens when you're, you, and maybe the not so luxury side of M&A and you're coming into say Gatlinburg or, or a, a different community, name the community, it doesn't necessarily matter. And, you know, you know, X company has been there for 20 years and they have, this management that's been set up and everyone's happy and la la. And then V trips comes in. There's, there's pros and cons from their eyes in the, in a community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you look at that? You know, you know, because I know Lisa, it's my understanding you're very hands-on um, in, in, in finance, in pricing and lots of different things. And, and when you come in and V trips comes into a community they have say people that have been doing this for a long time and which is great. You know, this is what happens and this is business. And, but, but how do you go ahead and keep both sides happy and, and keep, you know, the, everything smooth in, in the communities around you to embrace B trips coming in? Well, the first thing is, uh, which we found is to be very, very careful with the brand. So if the brand is big enough, we're, we're going to use that as the uh, brand and B trips, the umbrella brand. Right. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that in Panama City, we're going to have 20 different brands right. under Panama right. City. I mean, we're going to be at the resort collection in Panama City. So resort collection was the dominant brand. Uh, they've been there for 20 plus years. And so anything in Panama City in future companies, we're just rolling everything in the resort collection. Same Which thing makes with, total sense. Right. And then in um, Fort Myers Beach, we bought Distinctive. We actually are rolling our V-Trips brand into Distinctive because Distinctive, again, had been there 20 years, right. very successful. Yeah. Um, so what we've done very carefully is, uh, in general, we're really good with middle management and down. So the middle management typically is, you know, the people who were doing all the work to begin with. And, you know, what we're doing is we're coming in uh, with, with bonuses ability for them to get more money uh, and then obviously benefits, which a lot of places they, they didn't even have really right. that type of healthcare or dental and stuff like that. So now they have dental and stuff like that, better PTO, mm -hmm. that type of stuff. And then the workers down benefit as well. I mean, now we have matching 401ks, we have all kinds of benefits and stuff like that. So the key for us is, okay, we're giving them more money. We're giving them better benefits. Now we need to make sure that they are happy. And, and part of it is not to mess with the middle management. It's just to let them run as long as they can kind of run within our system. And, and so our goal is, okay, how do we transition them off their software system right, uh, and into a new software system and, and make it, make them understand, Hey, this is actually going to be a better system. Right. So, you know, and, and that's trust, right. They just have to trust that, you know, when we move from Springer Miller to track, it's a better system, right? You know, Springer Miller is like, okay, we understand, you know, Springer Miller, but track is a better system and actually be better for your owners, better for your guests, better for you. You have to trust us that we, what we're good at as technology, you're really good at cleaning and managing people and managing maintenance and managing service orders and owner communication and guest communication. You're great at this. Let us make sure we, we show you how much better track is than Springer Miller mm -hmm. or in, you know, in Fort Myers migrating from barefoot to track. Yeah. Barefoot was great. It's a, you know, but it's, it's limited, right. And it's extremely limited and track is just a superior. And, and then it's understanding like, why is track so much better? Well, 
you know, there's so much, you know, owner portal, guest portal, nightly pricing, uh, more channels, all these things that are going to benefit your guest, your owner, because the guests will have more places to find the inventory available on the owner. It's going to be happier, more money, you know, you're going to be happier because it's easier to manage the business. So right. that's, you know, that's the trade-off, right? It's to try to sell them on the stuff we're going to bring to them. That's going to be a change, which is the technology. We're going to, we're going to actually, you know, try to get them to buy in that the technology is going to actually be a win for them. And changing software sucks. Like well, change yeah, period. In the yeah, industry sucks. like people are resistant to change, whatever it is, whether right. you're changing, you know, when you think about it also from an institutional level, when you're changing in an organization and especially through acquisition, we hear it all the time, right? Like, Oh, you know, it's the boogeyman theory, right? Like, oh, the, the hope that they bought us, it's going to be bad. No one's ever, you know, I think that's people's initial response to that. But you have to look at what the long term value is. And what is it? We never really hear, right? Hey, what does this transition look like? And see, I'm, I'm going to be you're like about this, you know, the entire time as you're going through the acquisition. I'm interested. I want to know. I know it's a challenge. It's hard. Like, you can't just change a culture overnight. And some people aren't going to be with it. Right. But it's a process. And those who have a good strategy and really do care about their people will be able to do it successfully, right? Some of it is, you know, so you got to get the middle management to buy in, which is the bonus program. And some of it, they know. I mean, like we're going into large companies. They know that keyless access is just a better process than a, a VIN card. Well, the VIN card's a problem because people lose it. <laughs> right. You oh, need to have a me. desk. I mean, it whereas gets, if you have demagnetized, it gets demagnetized. <laughs> it's 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 just come on. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? So we know that VIN, that keyless. And now there's a cost, right? There, yeah. There's a cost yeah. to put Kava or Yale locks on every door. I mean, particularly if it's like a thousand. I mean, but hey, look, if we're willing to to underwrite the cost and put a Kava lock up there. And then the Kaba lock has all the car, you know, all the codes and it has fail safe codes. So if somebody forgets it and has to call our, you know, 800 number and, you know, in the middle of the night, we, we can give an emergency code. You know, this solves so many problems because you don't need front desk. You know, owners have their own code. Plus, we can track people coming and going. Right. That The VIN card is just such ancient technology or worse, keys. I mean, we're, we're in places where they still were giving out keys. It's like, <laughs> well, this is so terrible. And so it's getting people to understand, hey, look, you know, we get it. It's a headache to install all these cobble locks. Um, and you it's, know, it's, it's new things to think about than they weren't necessarily thinking about. But what what I, I think through an acquisition side of things is there's new things that they have to think about. But there's also less things that they have to think about because, you know, you're coming in as as V trips and, and say, hey, we got this, 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 this all handled. Now, okay, you have these new things in, but again, it's all part of that process, that transition. And if once adopted, and I talk about this all the time with with processes and software, mm. is once if you dive in with both feet and, and you learn it, it's going to be hard for a little bit. But once you do it and you do it to our, you know, SOP, it's going to be so much better. Yeah, but that's a leap of faith, right? Like oh, absolutely. End, you got to, yeah, that's the part, that's where you have to be convincing with people and get them to understand, you know, that, hey, you got to trust the process, right? Like you got to, and having a track record of success helps in that space, but the actual, you know, theory and practicality are very different in that. Well, but, and then also some of this stuff has to be driven from the top down. So yeah. just giving people bonus, 
doesn't necessarily drive it. I mean, you've got to be able to hold them accountable to goals. Yeah. And, you know, what the, the big thing about goals is, yeah, you get a bonus, but also how are you measuring up to your peers? Mm-hmm. So you get, a, you get a peer here in New Mexico working on this project, a peer here in Tennessee, a peer here in Panama City. How are you doing? Because, you know, you're all working more or less with the same resources, the same timeline. You know, we're working with you to do these projects outside of season you know, how are you executing? And, uh, you know, so, you know, that's great too, where we have not necessarily competition, but we have peers where they can talk to each other and they, you know, can say, how are you doing this? And, you know, a lot of it is goal expectation, management expectation, you know, and, and, and the middle management then really kind of communicating to their line staff, Hey, here's what we need to do. So it's, it's critically important. Yeah, I agree. So talk to me about what, Let's 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 dig into something like I want to get into your your viewpoint on, you know, what the future of the industry looks like in the near future. What's what's 22? What's 2022 going to look like? You know, are we going to I know we'll we'll see more deals. I know we'll see that. But for the average person in the space right now, what's the biggest challenge outside of like the human capital component for managers? Uh, what, what do you see? And, and let's speak U.S., right? You know, we, we can go talk about international later, but in the U.S., what do you see the landscape looking like over the next year? Well, obviously, right. So we touched on the, the challenges of human capital. That That's going to be a problem for a while uh, and a challenge. And then the other issue is really government uh, regulations. Uh, I was talking to this, someone last night. Uh, he's up in Colorado, and it's just, you know, I mean, it's just a headache trying to maneuver around these challenges the government says where you can only put one family per house or property. Right. It's like, yeah. how, how do you even know? How, what's the definition of family? I mean, you know, right. what, what are we talking here? Who's policing this? How and, is it? And now, yeah. And, and so, you know, constantly changing governments, the fact that there's governments that are literally in some cases meeting to determine how many rentals they'll even allow in a community. They're going to restrict, um, these are terrible issues that are happening across the board. And this industry is so underfunded in terms of really advocacy compared to like the hotel uh, lobbyists. And, you know, it's a problem because as much as I've done for advocacy, it's still just a small portion of what we need to do. And uh, unfortunately there's so many uh, people I've spoken to, even just since I've gotten here who are facing pretty significant regulation issues that could zone them out or could make it so that new uh, owners can't get a license to operate a vacation rental, which effectively dooms their market. Well, I, I, we see it firsthand in Atlanta right now. So over the past year, I've been working with Dave and Rent responsibly, you know, because Atlanta is going from no regulation to an STR ordinance that I, I and we can go into it in detail some other time, but like it, it's one of those being in the middle of that. So first of all, Airbnb was driving it literally to the point where they were actually writing it for the city council and actually writing the ordinance. And then what they came out with was something that didn't have any commercial exclusions, didn't have like, it, it was, I'll be honest, it was the most asinine thing I've ever seen put on paper. And it was due to the ignorance of the leaders in the space, you know, Airbnb driving Airbnb's initiatives and the lack of additional voices. And I was like, I'm in the midst of this. I'm working with Airbnb. We're working with hosts. We're trying to put this thing together. And it, I, we felt like we were on an island. It was like, where's everybody else? Like, what, what's happening? And 
I, it, my frustration for Atlanta, and this is just the city of Atlanta, not the Atlanta metro area. This is like the city of Atlanta. They built a, a whole ordinance that was based on just host didn't in no professional considerations. And so that part is was super frustrating. And I, if that's what's going on in the rest of these cities and in, the, in these places, we got a problem. Like, and we do need to get together because I was like, I was looking for the, where's the backup? Where's VRMA? Where's the rest of these, you know, these institutions for a city the size of Atlanta, something that's, as, you know, a huge hospitality city, year-round market, right? Major, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's college, Atlanta is a huge market for STR. And what they put out, and I'll share it with you, and you'll, it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. And so like I, I, that part I'm, I'm really concerned with. I'm, I, I appreciate everything you're doing in that space and all of uh, everyone that's, you know, at these last two conferences that are really kind of pushing this narrative. But how do we get the rest of the industry involved? Well, it, it, that, you know, that's that's a that could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's just gotta um, you know, it's a bandwidth there's, issue. There, yeah, it's a bandwidth issue. It's a resource issue. It's a capital issue. Uh, you know, part of our goal to try to get to a public offering or a SPAC um, in 2022 and beyond is to have, you know, the capital to start to be able to create our own uh, government advocacy component of V-Trips, which mm-hmm. right now is me, but hopefully it would be more than just me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what we would want to do is work with the other very, very large players in the space, um, which, you know, they're, they're, we're starting to see some big players like Inhabit IQ. Mm-hmm. I, I see some very positive things out of them. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly Track's been involved, um, you know, rent responsibly, yeah. that that whole stuff, and, and really focus on things that we think we can have tangible results because we're not going to be able to battle everywhere, right? And there's going to unfortunately be some causes that we're going to just have to say, hey, look, you know, there's it just doesn't make sense. You know, the Poconos, there's not enough managers in the Poconos. We're right. sorry. You know, there's just... Um, you know, there's certain battlegrounds we can't, we're, we're not going to be able to to take on, but we're going to have to pick and choose where we go. Now, you know, I've been a big fan of doing this at the state level. Yeah. And the reason why I like doing it at the state level is it's, I mean, it sounds strange, but it's a little less political than at the local level where it becomes extremely driven by local interests, at least at the state level, you know, the state is you know, in general, a bit of a check and balance between local governments Mm -hmm. where at the state level, you can talk to them and say, Hey, look, this is a revenue issue. This is a property rights issue. Look at the economic impact that it has on employment and stuff like that. And and we need some protection um, so that local government can't just zone it out. So, you know, that's another issue too, which is, you know, instead of trying to battle at every municipality, Go to the state level, which we were trying to do in Georgia, by the way, and and try to figure out, hey, how can we get certain things into, uh, you know, into in, written into law where we protect the industry, still allowing local government to have some ability to maneuver, but they can't just zone us out. Yeah, right. And well, I think that's I, that's the only way to go that we're going to be successful in this space. Like it, we have to be able to lock arms and agree that this is critical to the success of everyone within this space. And, you know, it's one thing to, to, you know, support it from the outside and say, yeah, advocacy is great. But like, we really have now, I mean, I really feel like going through this experience in Atlanta and working with Dave and the work that they've been doing and rent responsibly, like you, you, unless we all come together on this, it's going to be 
a problem and for and it's going to be a real problem for people's businesses because like taking and taking Atlanta out of this, like, how are you going to build an ordinance that has no commercial exceptions? And then they did something crazy. It was like saying you could only have two plus one rentals per person and no commercial exclusion. So like even saying the entities were going to have to create like all these LLCs, it was, it's, it's a mess. And thank God it's not going through. They had to revise. It was that bad. They were like, they had to revise it, but. Well, I mean, Georgia would be a good example where you go at the state level and we try to go back and do it again. And we, we tried to do something about two years ago in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it is also we need state chapters. Um, You know, we have a state chapter in Florida, um, we have one in North Carolina, but Georgia really doesn't have one. So, you know, it's 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 going to take at the state level, really, um, you know, I, I hate to be so pr- pragmatic about this, but we could fight in every little city in Georgia or we could go to the state level and try to figure out how do we go to the state level and at least protect inherent rights, which happened in Arizona, happened in Florida. Um, you know, and, and that's really going to be the issue. Now, there are certain states that are more likely uh, at the state level to allow stuff like that uh, than others, but at least let's pick off those 10 or 12 states where we think we have a chance at the state level to protect the industry. And then we can maybe take a look at some of the other ones and say, hey, look, here's what we've done at, you know, 10 or 12 of these states, you know, Colorado, is there a chance you can take a look at what we've done here? Right. Yeah. And I think that getting those preemptive clauses in there, I, I think is a smart approach, right? Like if you get on, you know, I think you're absolutely right at the state level, get those preemptive uh, clauses in there so that at least you have a framework to, you know, allow the smaller municipalities to work around. They have a base to go off of that's actually rooted in something sensible versus, you know, what, what the emotion of the day is, right? Atlanta, that's what we're seeing over the past year. Atlanta has been open. And so like everyone's like freaking out because everyone's come to Atlanta to party for the last year. Why would you, and, and that's actually affecting the ordinances in Atlanta. It's crazy, but it's the reality. And so, yeah, yeah I think it's interesting. And I, I think we'll I appreciate everything you're doing in that space. We'll, we're going to continue to support it. Um, and, and advocates here on the No BS podcast, we're going to continue to push the advocacy part, part of that. Um, Speaking well, of that real yeah. quick, uh, you know, I, I was at the, the, so we are at the VRM and Intel DARM conference, um, but VRMA had the advocacy thing uh, last night. It was great. Um, we had one uh, a couple months back in Destin, yeah. um, which raised a ton of money. We, we raised some money last night in, you know, the No BS pod, uh, short-term rental podcast was, it's a small chunk of change, but we were very happy to go ahead and donate $500 towards the VRMA advocacy yeah. fund. Yeah. Um, and I encourage anyone that's listening um, this money and, and maybe uh, Steve can kind of like, you know, kind of go into what this money is used oh, for. Yeah, plug it. Um, sure. But anyone that wants to go ahead and donate even a little bit to the X fund. I mean, this is what it's used for. We'll let Steve jump in here and you can reach out to us and we'll go ahead and put you in contact with the right people at Verma. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've raised uh, over $300,000 this year. So, wow. you know, I started this thing at zero uh, in, uh, 2000, uh, 2019 was our first year for advocacy. And, uh, first year we raised about a little over a hundred thousand. And then last year with COVID, we raised, um, we actually made it to 250,000. And then this year it's just going to, we're already over 300. Um, so, but you know, what we're looking to do is two things, either educational issues like economic impact studies, affordable housing, 
studies which you know reviewed this issue where vacation rentals take away affordable housing, which is really a it makes no sense. But this is one of the things now that's been commonly uh, espoused as a reason to ban vacation rentals is they're taking away affordable housing, which is just we we have to educate people that this is just absolutely not the truth. Mm-hmm. And then um, the uh, the other thing is to seed certain projects like state chapters to get them off the ground right. um, and even PR uh, campaigns. So and, um, the, and these things aren't cheap, no. you know, like any of these studies, they're, they're not cheap. They're, you know, $15,000. They're at, you know, at a minimum, at, at a you minimum. know, so, I mean, that's what, you know, so the, I just yeah. want to kind of, it's, it's not like we're, this $300,000 well, is only going to go so far. Um, well, and that's why we need a broad, you need broader support throughout the industry, right? right. Like that's why this is an issue for all of us to tackle. Um, and shout out to those who are, who are leading, you know, that charge. But this is something that we all have to get around and push towards uh, because we're all affected by it. It's already so, by dance. Yeah, yeah. So I had a question for you, Steve. Uh, yeah. Honest question. Um, you are a force in the industry. You know, you're, you're always present. Talk to me about, you know, down the line, when you look, when, when, when it's all said and done, what do you want your mark on the industry to be? What do you want? You know, when we look back, when we say, hey, it's Steve Milo is here. What, what does that look like? What do you want that to be? What do you want your legacy to stand for? Well, I mean, hopefully, first and foremost, I've built a brand in V-Trips that people can hold their head high and say, hey, look, you know, this is a, a brand of a professional national vacation rental company. And it, it means something, both in quality and uh, in standards. Um, so, you know, hopefully once I'm uh, retired, uh, just like there's a brand called Hilton or Marriott, there's the V-Trips brand and, you know, people recognize what V-Trip means and it has value and it has um, a lasting legacy. Second thing for the industry itself, hopefully what people are going to remember me for is advocacy that, you know, we have done things to support the industry, uh, to make sure that we are uh, fairly treated by governments. And, you know, every year we, we keep raising more and more money. Hopefully it won't be hundreds of thousands. Hopefully it'll start to be millions of dollars. And, you know, we start to make some real progress towards protecting our industry. So really, I mean, those are really the two things. I mean, we could talk about other fun stuff like, you know, OTA bashing and things like that, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure people will love that, but, you know, um, you know, it, it's advocacy. <laughs> it reminds I, think, you. I think that's a, that's a, but that's a fair point. And that's, and it, it and going into the next question is like, I, I want to get your honest opinion on the tech space in our industry too. Like, you know, where's that going? Well, I mean, the technology space I think where we're heading to is um, more enterprise companies, uh, enterprise software systems that are more affordable uh, to property management companies Mm -hmm. and that allow uh, basically them to run hosted systems in a more efficient way. So, I mean, the technology is becoming more and more efficient. You've had, you know, obviously we have track. Guesty's received massive funding. Mm-hmm. Streamline, obviously, is owned by Inhabit IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in theory, these products can continue to be built um, so that they are better and better for property managers to use for our super hosts, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to benefit um, the guest, the owner, and, and the, uh, the principals as well. Um, 
you know, we're going to start, we're going to continue to see, um, I think more and more niches. Breezeway is a good example. Be Home 247 is an example where, you know, they're focused on different components, whether it's smart lock, whether it's service, uh, whether it's cleaning, whatever, that's going to help, again, right. manage better ways of the guest, the owner, you know, your employees so that you can manage the business, uh, make it less complicated. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that. And then, you know, from the OT, OTA side, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more ability for companies to do distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Google is probably going to be a big part of this. So um, there's, there's a, I'm pretty optimistic of where we're heading. Um, and I think, you know, from my standpoint, companies like us are in a good position because we've taken technology and we're, we're running with it mm-hmm. um, as opposed to some companies that I've met and they're telling me, Hey, I'm 80% direct. I'm 70% direct. And I'm thinking, well, you really, now you should be trying to do everything you can to broaden your base. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be technology based, right? You, you know, you're happy. You're going to Distribution. have to leverage, yeah, technology in that space. It's going to be huge. I agree. So if, if back in the day, and, and this reminds me to, of, of the story, again, back to that Gallenberg when, when Matteo and I met. And so Matteo reminds me of, and I'm reminded of the first time I really knew who Steve Milo was, was when everyone was, and, and this is in your OTA bashing days, um, it was actually at Verma Eastern in Miami. And you you had two at least one big maybe two big speeches and and um, it was packed to the gills and coming out and and I can't remember who it was that, that day but back to Gatlinburg, <laughs> Mateo tell, tells me a story when he first met you you what what was he wearing so this is a story so I, you know this is my second conference in the industry I don't know anybody here I'm in Gatlinburg Tennessee I'm just hey how you doing fresh green meeting everyone and working for Rennet at the time shout out to Andrew Rennet and everyone there and I was going around and he's like hey you gotta talk to Steve Milo he's like you know talk to him you know he's like go introduce yourself is someone you got to meet and I was like all right well, no, Steve Milo. I was like, all right, okay, well, I got to figure him out. And I, and I think I forgot who I asked somebody else, and they're like, oh, he's the guy with the uh, the TripAdvisor desk shirt on. And I was like, the TripAdvisor desk shirt. I, and this is why I love Steve to this day. I, when I <laughs> Steve, and I have this picture to this day. I actually, and I'll, and I'll send it to you again, Steve, because I have this picture. I was like, he had the the TripAdvisor shirt with the Grim Reaper holding the TripAdvisor owl's head and like a sickle on the other side <laughs> with a blazer on. And I was like, oh, I love this guy. Um, <laughs> and, and again, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't know what any of that meant and I didn't get it. But, uh, you know, it, when you learn, it, it, but it's, it's interesting and it's, it's driving a narrative and a conversation that I think is, is welcoming in this industry. Like I think too often people just accept things in this space and don't challenge enough. And that's one of the things I appreciate you and what you bring to this industry. And, you know, I know it probably ruffles people's feathers on the other side of that, but good. Like at the end of the day, that's good for us to be having diverse conversations. We don't want to all just be falling in line and being like, okay, well, we're just going to do what everybody else does. Like, it's good to have that. And so like, I appreciated that. And that, and God knows, like Andrew was like, go find Steve Milo. I was like, who's Milo? Where do I get him? And then, like, I'm this random guy just, hey, Steve, how are you? Mateo from Rennet. 
uh but no it's it's been great ever since then and so it's uh and i appreciate it Steve. you know i i appreciate the candor uh, i think the industry whether they you know whether they love you or hate you appreciate that check and and sometimes people need that that little nudge in the rib that says man look what this doesn't make any sense like hey like let's talk about these things let's bring it to the table and you know sometimes that's not always comfortable but i think we're better off for it yeah it's being comfortable isn't necessarily the right direction to go facts so well and i have the ability to speak so yeah. you know not everybody is has the power uh to be able to get up there and and basically talk about something that's bad for the industry and you know i pick and choose my battles but yeah. uh you know there are 10 you know there's been some companies that just have done some stuff that needs to be called out and you know i know i ruffled a lot of feathers at verbo about matchback but i thought it was ridiculous what they did at that point mm -hmm. um it was really underhanded and they eventually backed down mm -hmm. um you know but uh you know now i'm really focused on kind of talking about vacasa because yeah. um you know i think they they're bad for the industry. I just don't believe they're good for the industry. And I think educating uh, owners who are potentially talking to Vacasa about what it means to sell to Vacasa is important. You know, it means probably your employees are going to be fired. They're going to destroy your brand and you probably are going to need to lead the community if you sell to them. And look, I mean, this is a company who was supposed to be at this conference and literally without any notice contacted Amy Hyman and said, we're not going to make it. I mean, who does that? They were speaking at this industry event and they're not going to be here. I mean, they, they, they have no respect for our industry. Their CEO hasn't even attended a, one of these conferences. I'm not even sure he's been to many of the offices. And I don't know how industry outsiders are going to manage a business that is this complex and requires uh, the level of understanding of operations and people. And that's what, you know, that's what I'm talking about is, look, I mean, it's not just getting money. It's who do you sell to? Who, do you care about your employees? If you say, hey, my employees are like family to me, then why would you put them in an abusive relationship? I mean, so I mean, I mean, devil's advocate, though, what happens when V-Trips goes public? Is it is that a different story? Well, yeah, I'm running the company. Right. Yeah. Well, well, and again, but that's part of like that's part of the story, right? And you know, Clue and I are good friends. I, you know, that's not how Vacasa started, right? When you talk about the beginning of Vacasa, that was a completely different animal, an organic, different place, right? Of that was people centered, and everyone that you talked to that was part of Vacasa during those days, it, it was an amazing story, and it sounded like it was an amazing place, like. But scaling, but it case in point, scaling's hard, right? And it's not perfect. Well, they sold out. Yeah. I mean, they they sold out and they lost control of the company, and um, the entire leadership team is completely different than what existed three years ago. Even I mean, everybody yeah. who was basically part of the original team was was let go. Yeah. Anyone with a Brion in their name was let go. I mean, they yeah. were they were all gone, yeah. and so. Instead, it's been replaced with people from Angie's List and Open Table and people who have no understanding. They're, they basically say they're a technology uh, company, that they're, you know, like Etsy. And I mean, it's it just makes no sense. I mean, yeah. this, you know, we're in the hospitality space. Right. We're, we're not. It's good points. I mean, definitely valid points. You know, you're coming from, you know, you're in the hospitality space built from hospitality. And that's how it's and that's how Vacasa started, too. I mean, they. 
hospitality minded people, but it's you know, for sure. Like it, things have changed. Well, we're going to look back and again, that, you know, this, this period of growth within our industry, and I was like, I, I feel like I'm lucky to be a part of it is and to be able to watch it. I think when we, you know, 20 years from now, when we're looking back, you know, th- there wasn't a roadmap, right? Like they, you know, what Steve's doing, what Vacasa's doing, they, they're trudging their own paths for better or for worse. Like that's, right. I don't, you know, I think at the end of the day, what will, you know, people will look at is what the result is, right? Like, and, you know, we went through this stage of mass professionalization, but it's under the model of the traditional corporate structure, right? right? And that's what Vacasa did. Like it's, it, their goal was clear within that space build the monster, keep feeding the monster, keep growing in that space. And, you know, you lose people during that. You lose, you know, direction in that space. And when you completely change and get the organization, you're going to lose all of that. And then what you're left with is whoever you have in that space driving an entity. Right. Or hospitality. So, like, that's always going to be the challenge for companies to scale, right? Like, you just talked about looking back 20, you know, in 20 years, looking back, you know, <clears throat> Steve's been in this business for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, back then and even now, to, I was talking to someone last night and I said, oh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's a wild west back then. And the guy's like, gentleman I was talking with last night, he said, it's still the wild west, yeah. but now we just have trains. No. <laughs> and, and I thought it was a great analogy because it's we're right in the middle of this. It's still everything's like fresh and new and we're we're pioneering. And, and But we just have trains now. And so we have like different different mechanisms and ways to get there. And, and you're right. What's it going to look like in 20 years from now? Um, and, you know, how do we lay those lines? Anything? You uh, got the answer to that? No, I don't. But if I, if I did, I'd be probably I'd be a rich man. Um, Steve, you want anything you want to go ahead and leave the audience with today? Well, I mean, I think what what's important really, again, is just going to be the discussion on human capital. Yeah. You know, how are you going to be able to continue to find people to, you know, take on these jobs on the front line? Mm-hmm. And it, it's an important conversation and, and it's there's no one answer. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, clearly. 2021, the biggest challenge was human capital. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be the biggest challenge for 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to also, and next time, we'll, we'll bring you back because I definitely want to talk about the API stuff. I don't know where we're at with that, but I think that's going to be huge for us too as an industry moving forward, right? Like to be able to, can we get to that common, you know, from a tech standpoint, I think it's going to be huge. And I know you were driving the effort. So I was part of that and supportive of that. I think we still need it. Honestly, uh, for us to really grow in as a industry and and, yeah, and professionalize as a whole, um, but yeah. I mean, briefly get into it. And you know, I know we got to wrap this up here, but you know, if I'm, I think the consolidation on the tech front, mm-hmm. as you know, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, is actually helping that. Yes, the, the consolidation is helping and is bringing together in these, you know, and in cleaner code. Is is making it easier to go ahead and, and to work this all out. So I, I think they, the, the, those are some of the the really big positive takes from this this tech consolidation. You know, you have the the you know the PM consolidation, you have the tech consolidation, and these are all a positive things. You know, which is cleaning up some of these just this messy BS that's out there. Um, I think in time it's going to work itself out. It definitely needs kept pushing the right direction. But I mean, is, is that what you're seeing, Steve? Yeah. I mean, I definitely am seeing 
the benefits from the technology side of of scale that that some of these companies are getting bigger and they're able to kind of create some standards. So, um, you know, we're going to definitely see a gap, but the new breed of technology that comes out, the guesties of the world, the track, you know, obviously GSV is importing huge amounts of money into their tech stack. You know, they're going to put the emphasis on writing clean API mm-hmm. as opposed to what used to happen, which was everybody had different standards yeah. and uh, no one really paid attention to it. So it, it's get, it's going to get easier and that's going to make it easier for companies like a breezeway to succeed as well, because, you know, they're not having to have a team of developers just focus on, you know, keeping the API going. Mm. Steve, pleasure as always. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks. Really appreciate you joining Thank us you. today. Always, Matt. Thank right. you. We'll we'll so we have you back soon. Uh, live, well, live, this will be Thursdays coming out um, from the Francis Marion Hotel in Charleston. Thank you for joining us this week um, and uh, more to come. Yeah. Shout out to Amy. Great. And looking forward to this conference. Um, also, stay tuned. Uh, we will have some pretty uh, important announcements about VRMA coming up, um, some things we have going on there as well. So uh, like the channel if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, of course, thank you for listening. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you next week.